Psalm 8. We will get there here in just a moment or two. The psalm has been on my mind uh, because it came up a few uh, weeks ago in dealing with my grandmother, and I'll explain about that more in a little bit. But tonight we're going to look at three psalms, okay? I don't have three points, I have three psalms, so I think it'll be relatively easy to follow. I don't think I'm going to bore you to death, because what I hope to do is to open your eyes to something that I'm sure that you have already known, and something that you have already thought about before, and something that the psalmists talk about a lot. And what we're talking about is the insignificance of man. Have you ever felt completely insignificant? You look around and you say, do what? Who am I? What am I? Maybe you feel that way when you're riding in an airplane, like I was thinking about the other day with this psalm on my mind. And I'm looking down and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what city that is that I'm going over. I wonder how many people live there. And I'm thinking about, well, what about what's on the other side of the point? I can't even see that. There are all those other people on the other side. I got to thinking about that. Okay, so if that's what I'm seeing right now, what about throughout the rest of the world? And we were thinking about God's omniscience, God knowing everything. And I looked down there and I said, hey, I don't even know what city that is. I don't know how many people live in that city. And I sure don't know anyone's name in that city. And I sure don't know what anyone is thinking in that city. I thought, I'm one of those little dots. If you've ever been to a sporting event and you've sat up at the top in the nosebleed sections, guess what you need to have on your jersey? You need to see a number and usually a name too. Because even from just a few hundred feet away, we still can't tell who somebody is because they all just kind of blend right in. Well, that's not the way it is with God, as we have said all over. And as Michael talked about this morning, about even some of those conversations that the Lord listens to and pays attention to. But maybe you felt so insignificant in the world as a whole Because I am just a tiny little speck. I am just a grain of sand in the innumerable grains of sand in the body of Christ. Maybe you felt that one. Well, Psalm 8 deals with that from a mankind standpoint. And that's what we're going to deal with first, is this insignificance as a human race in one sense. Notice in Psalm chapter 8, it is a psalm of David according to the inscription... And it says, O Jehovah, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Let's put that in our words. God, you've chosen to show your glory above and beyond the rest of us. We can't get there on our own, and in David's time, they didn't have an airplane to get 30,000 feet into the air. Remember, there was a time where they tried to build that tower to get up into the heavens. Didn't work so well, did it? 
Because that's where his glory is. That's not our glory. His glory is in the heavens. And he's made it so that even the little babies give him glory. So from the highest to the lowest, what you have is his glory. It is in all of the earth, and you have put it there because you're the strong one. Your enemies cannot do anything. Your foes, they will not stand. And even the little babies know that. And don't the little babies know that? Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. They learn learn that from a childhood. And if you've heard children singing like we just had about more about Jesus, or Jesus loves me, you understand that it's a beautiful thing when the mouth of babes and infants give praise to God, and we just say, man, that's amazing that they would do such a thing. And that's what David is starting with, is you're getting praise from everywhere. But verse 3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. When you look at all of the great creation, specifically those things of which we cannot understand, and the things that are so much bigger than us, even that tiny little star in the distance is incredibly larger than me or you or maybe even all of us combined right here in this little space. What, what is man that you are mindful of him? I want you to think about that phrase, mindful. It's the idea that you even think about him. Like you got all this other stuff. You got all these other beings to focus on. But yet man, you think about him. And not only do you think about him, you care for him. You provide for him. And some of your translations may, you visit him. We understand that when we're sick, don't we? We talk about somebody, when we care for them and they're sick, we go visit them. We go and we see what is happening. Or there is a caregiver, someone who is constantly with them, providing for them. What what are we as, what are we that you visit us and you care for us? Never felt that way. Like God, why me? In a good sense. Like you see the good that he's done, you say, why me? That's the way David feels when he compares himself to things that are so much greater than himself. The Lord and the Lord's creations, what is man? And not only does the Lord think of us as mankind, but notice what else he has done, verse 5. Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or the angels, and you have crowned him, that is man, with glory and honor. And you've given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under his feet. Like, not only do you think about us, you gave us everything that you had to rule over it. I want you to think about the kind of person that you would put in charge of your things. 
We're not just putting anybody in charge of our very important and very valuable things, are we? If it's work, we're making sure that the employee is trustworthy. If it's family, we're making sure that they are trustworthy. If it is a stranger, we would want to know from somebody else that they are trustworthy. We don't just give it to anybody. But yet David looks around and he says, man, you've given man dominion over all your creation. Remember when he did that? He did that in the garden. He did that when Noah came out of the ark. Here, it is yours. Go and take care of it. And I've stepped back and I've had to ask myself this question. Wes, have you thought about the earth as the Lord's? And the obvious answer is yes. Wes, do you treat the earth like it's the Lord's? Like he has entrusted you the earth. And the answer for me is no. That was brought to my attention a few weeks ago. I think Melissa and Kevin were over. And so many of you learned a couple Wednesday nights ago, my Sam's Club membership, that, well, you know that they sell in bulk. And I had this little weakness for the gummy bears, to which I purchased again, for the record. And they're really good still. But there's plastic plates and there's plastic cups that keep me from having to run my dishwasher all the time. Well, Melissa walks in and she says, you don't use those all the time, do you? And I was like, uh, yeah. What are you doing? And I hadn't thought about it from the perspective of, you know, in our society right now, the environment is very important. And... I thought back, and I've been thinking about that more and more since you said it, I've been thinking about this song. You know why I haven't cared about any of that? Because I feel insignificant. I'm like, it's me. I have no carbon footprint. In fact, Ed said the same thing. The men were over there Friday night for the Bible study. And I got three TVs running. I got all this plastic goodies. And I learned that also, they're supposed to, apparently we're supposed to recycle. That's a law in New Jersey. Didn't know that one either. And here I am, this very thing that has been given in my dominion, I'm not doing. Because I don't think of myself very insignificantly. I think of myself, oh, it's just me. I don't matter. And I do think that's insignificant. But what I don't understand is that it is significant because I have been entrusted with all these things. So if a person doesn't treat their animal right, We know what kind of a person that is. The things that are handed to them, how they handle that, right? Who is faithful in little is also faithful in much. And I began to think, said, man, I'm not sure that I really wanted to have to keep up with these oxen uh, and these sheep and all these things that are entrusted. Because it's a big responsibility to take care of these things. But notice how he continues in verse 6. All the sheep, all the beasts of the field... The birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the sea, God, you have left up to man. And he says, he closes out the way he began, verse 9, O Jehovah our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, because when we look at the animals, we look at the fish in the sea, when we look at the stars in the heaven, and we think about all that stuff being subjected to, To us as men and women, we have to just say, man, Jehovah, how great are you? 
You are the one that is in control of all of this. Why do you even care for me? And we think that way. Why me? So that gets us to our second psalm. I want you to go to Psalm 138. See, oftentimes when we think of why me, and I think I maybe even preach a sermon about that, we always think that's in a negative way. Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Why, why that? Well, it can be a very good thing to be asking why me when we realize how great a responsibility we've been given. Like maybe you get a, asked to do something at work that you hadn't been asked to do before and you know that there maybe there's somebody else that could do the job better. Why me? There's usually a reason for that, right? Well, when we look at Psalm 138, I want you to notice what is said here, again, a psalm of David. David says, I give you thanks, O Jehovah, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love, for your mercy and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Now those of us who have been in the Wednesday night class, in Micah and Hosea, we've learned a little bit and we've talked a little bit about this phrase, steadfast love, mercy, or depending on your translation, may even say goodness. Notice that very closely in verse 2. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name, For your steadfast love, your mercy, and your faithfulness. You see, God is always showing us His goodness. He is always acting faithfully with us as human beings. And that's kind of an uh, unusual thing. Because as much as we try to be consistent as human beings with other people and the way that we treat them, Are we consistent day in and day out? No. Even the people that we love, we are going to do things that hurt them, that are uncharacteristic of us. We're not going to be consistent day in and day out. We're not always going to show the mercy. We're not always going to show the love. God does. And he says, for that reason I bow down, I worship you. And you've exalted above all things. Your name and your word. Again, you are the greatest thing and what you say is the greatest thing. If you speak, I listen. Because that is you. But notice how he flips that. You speak, I listen, but now notice this individual, verse 3. So on the day that I called, you answered me. And the strength of my soul, you answered. Why would the one who is exalted above everything answer me? Ever thought about that? He tells us to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. But why does God care for me? And he uses the highest of the highest, probably is the psalm that David wrote while he was a king. So verse 4. So all the kings of the earth shall give thanks, O Jehovah, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of Jehovah, for great is the glory of Jehovah. For those, and Donnell prays this in his prayer about every time, for Jehovah is high 
He regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. I don't know that I'd ever heard the phrase until I heard Donnell praying. He who sits high and looks low. And we understand that concept, right? We're not saying that he's sitting in the nosebleeds. That's kind of what I always really thought about. Like, he's sitting way up there, and he's looking down on the earth. No, he's sitting high because he is exalted on his throne in the heavens. And he doesn't just see what is going down on the earth. That's not our word here. He regards the lowly. You see, mankind is lowly. We are but dust. But yet, He regards us. He answers us. And yet, the kings, out of all the people, you would think, yeah, God would answer kings. I think He's saying more than that. That God answers all the lowly. And if you think about it from the king perspective, right? David is a king addressing another king. That's great. Do kings always get along with one another? No, they don't. They don't always answer. But does a king listen to some lowly peasant, homeless person out there when the homeless person calls and asks for help? He does not. He does not regard him. He may see him. He may hear him. But he doesn't regard him. He counts him as insignificant. He counts him as nothing. You're just a a part of my kingdom and you're not important. He says that's not the way that Jehovah the Lord looks at us. He looks at me, he says, David, as one who is close to him. But the haughty, the arrogant one. Notice how that. The Lord sees him or knows him from afar. You see, there is a closeness that the wicked does not have with the Lord. See, God offers us as righteous people and as his people a very close relationship that he will come and visit us in our day of trouble. Whether that is sickness, whether that is temptation, whether that is some other kind of hardship, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But the wicked, he knows from afar. See, he sees it happening from his little airplane. From his throne in heaven, he looks down and he sees exactly what's happening, but that person doesn't regard me at all. That person doesn't need me. That person is arrogant. That person is puffed up on his own strength and on his own things. And so guess what? He doesn't need me. So therefore, I'm going to let it be. But yet, the Lord answers the prayer of the righteous. It avails much. It, it can't be stopped. And you see that difference. And we, you know, we talk about this, this song is not sung very often because it's borderline. Some people feel that it is borderline irreverent. But I think the idea of this song My God and I. I don't know if any of you have ever sung the song, My God and I. But my God and I go through the fields together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands. Our voices ring with laughter. My God and I go through the narrow fields. Okay, I I get that it is not the most reverent song in the world. 
But I also get what the songwriters say. God offers us a very unique relationship that someone that is exalted above the heavens should never offer these lowly, dirty people. But yet God is mindful of us. He visits us. He regards us. And so David says in verse 7, So though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David felt this over and over. So though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. And you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. That's the way David fought his battles. David didn't fight his battles against Goliath. Or any other king with I am so strong. He fought those battles with the Lord, I am strong. And so the Lord, Jehovah, will fulfill his purpose for me, David says. Or his counsel for me. Whatever he wants me to do, that's what, in one sense, he's going to do. But notice what his will is. Your steadfast love O Jehovah, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Understand what David's asking there? You are a merciful God, and you have continually shown me your love and your mercy. Please don't forget that. Please don't forsake me because I need it, and I recognize that I don't deserve it, but yet thank you. For looking at me. For caring about me. Am I close enough with God that He cares about me? Or am I one of those that He knows from a distance because I do not acknowledge Him? And the final psalm that we will discuss this evening is Psalm 33. See, Psalm 8 was about mankind. Psalm 138 was about one individual. Now Psalm 33 is going to be about a group of people. Notice 33 verse 1. Shout for joy in Jehovah the Lord, O you righteous. We're now going to deal with a psalm about a group of righteous people. Praise befits the upright. means if you are a righteous person, what is fitting to come out of my mouth and out of your mouth is praise for the Lord. So I used this psalm back in our very first debate uh, with the musical instruments. So give thanks to Jehovah with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. And sing to him a new song and play skillfully on the strings with a loud shout. Again, I believe that's Old Testament things, but we're just dealing with principles here. But notice the first word in verse 4. Four. You need to do all of these things. You need to give all this praise and all this joy to the Lord. Four, verse 4. The word of Jehovah is upright. And all His work is done in faithfulness. Just like we saw in 138. He is faithful in His actions, okay? Okay. We would see that in Lamentations, morning by morning, 
New mercies I see. Right? None of those verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. And the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Again, do you see Micah 6, 6? What does the Lord your God require of you? And then verse 8, but to do justice and to seek mercy, right? And to walk humbly before your God. That wasn't new teaching in those prophets. This was all the way back to David and even before that, that what the Lord wants from His people is them to act like Him. That they want the uprightness, they want His righteousness, want them to do justice to one another and to show this mercy continually upon one another. And He says, the Lord has made the earth full. Of His goodness. Of His steadfast love. I want you to think about that again. Everywhere the Lord has made Himself known. Even in the days when Israel was the nation. It was God's chosen people. The whole earth still had heard of Jehovah. Because of who He was. So now notice verse 5. Or verse 6 here. As it talks a little bit about, again, the insignificance, but the power of His Word, the power of Jehovah's Word. So by the Word of Jehovah the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. And He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and He puts the deep in storehouses. Like He can gather up the actual waters and just put them right there. Remember a time when He stored up? The waters and the depths. How about the Red Sea? Build that big old wall. The Jordan River. He stopped it from up from upstream. Who else is doing that? Nobody. He's able to do those things. And so notice verse 8. So let the earth, let all the earth fear Jehovah the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Like, have you ever seen a parent speak to their child and say, stop, and the child actually stops? Like, we see that and we're like, yeah, good job. Because most of the time when you say stop, the kid doesn't stop. And yes, the kid gets the glory in one sense, right? Like, wow. Very well-behaved child. But you know the reason why is because that child respects and fears mommy or daddy. Because mommy and daddy have been working that when I say no, that means no or else. And that's what the Lord is saying with us. He's like, hold on now. You do realize that with one word, everything that you see was great. You do realize that with one word, everything that's got all this power of the sweeping away of the waters... It stopped, right? You got that. So what should we do? Whoa. And I guarantee if we had seen the Red Sea, we would have been like, whoa. That would have been cool. That would have been powerful. But I also can't imagine really what it would be like walking between two walls of water. 
I think I would also be literally terrified. I would be afraid. And the Egyptians had a reason to be afraid, didn't they? Because those waters, with the, basically almost with the same type of idea, came right back down. Now, granted, I know that it was the feet of the priests that were in the water and everything, but we know that who is the one that is commanding that water stand up and fall down. The point is, when we see those things, we stand in awe. And what he's saying is, the whole earth that is filled with his mercy and his steadfast love, they need to stand in awe and fear him, much like Michael was talking about this morning. Because verse 10, Jehovah brings the counsels of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. All these nations got all these plans against their people. They can't do anything. We talked about that with Assyria over and over in the Sunday morning and the Wednesday night class. You may have all these plans. The Lord doesn't want you to do it. It ain't going to happen. And the counsel of the Lord, it stands forever. The plans of His heart is to all generations. And here it is. Blessed is the nation whose God is Jehovah. The people whom He has chosen as His heritage. Is it true that when a nation serves Jehovah, that nation is blessed? Absolutely it is, right? Righteousness exalts a nation. It doesn't say righteousness exalts Israel. It doesn't say righteousness exalts the United States of America. Righteousness exalts a nation. How many times have we seen on Wednesday night, they are not my people, Hosea, because I am not their God. And David is saying, man, how good life is when Jehovah is our God. Because, verse 13, Jehovah looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. He doesn't just see Israel. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. That phrase looks at, yours may say see. I looked it up because I was like, I wonder if the same word. Apparently it's a word that means he's staring. He's gazing. Like he's gazing and looking intently at everything that goes on on the earth with all people. And he fashions, and he who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. What I think he's saying there in verse 15 is that all men are created equal. He made them equal. He made their hearts created equal. Hence, it's easy for Him to know know and understand their hearts. Because He made them the way in which they are. And so He's able to look and He sees, He observes, He pays attention to all of their deeds. And so the king is not saved by his great army. And a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. And the war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. You see, what delivers a nation in battle and what delivers a nation is not how strong its king is and how strong its army is or how strong its animals are. What delivers a nation is that when Jehovah looks down on it, 
Verse 18. Behold, look. The eye of Jehovah is on those who fear Him. On those who hope in His steadfast love. That He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in faith. You see who He's paying attention to? His eye is on those that fear Him. From all of the earth. From all of these people. You remember how even in Acts chapter 10, Peter comes to the realization when he goes to Cornelius. Oh, it is for all who fear the Lord. That's exactly what he says. It is for all who fear the Lord. Like any man, any nation. That's what's being said the whole time. But notice this again. That hope in his steadfast love. People that expect God to be good to them. People that are waiting on God to be good to them. So I have to ask myself a question. Am I a person that truly respects and fears God and expects Him to do good to me? Or am I a person that kind of sits back like, well, you know what? I know God's got some strength and He may or may not work out good in my life. See, there's a difference there. Like, if it works out good, it's great. If it doesn't, it doesn't, it's fine. When you really want something, you don't go to God and be like, God, you know what? It'd be great if you did this, but it'd be okay if you did. Like, we, we see Jesus doing that just a little bit. Except it's not in such a lackadaisical sense. He really wanted the cup to be passed for him. But, nevertheless, that's a little different than, but it doesn't really matter, I'm okay with this over here. That is, I want this, but I'm willing to do this. And I expect that you're going to do what is best. That what is going to be for my better and for my good, that is what you are going to do. And we would say that that is love. Is that when someone does what is best for me every single time, they love me. But it may not be what I want to hear. And that's exactly what I think he's saying here. Is the people that really understand who God is and they understand what kind of power he really has. When they come to him as even a group of people as we are about to see. Amazing things can happen for this because that is who He is. So notice verse 20. Our soul. We're now going to plural. There hasn't been a lot of personal pronouns in this one. But when we get to the end, we clearly see that this is for a group of people. Our soul waits for Jehovah. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in Him. Because we trust in His holy name. And so here's the prayer. Let your steadfast love, O Jehovah, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Yeah, we might be insignificant as people, but man, God is still mindful of us. And we expect good things to happen. Because God is good, and God continually shows that goodness. But man, we can only expect it 
if we expect it from Him. And we ask Him to continually do that. Don't feel so small and insignificant. God really does care about us. But let's not get puffed up either because we are small and we are significant only because He regards us. Only because He considers us. Otherwise, we are dust and dust will return and we are nothing. Alright, that's all I got. If you're subject in any way this evening to uh, the Lord's call, you need to become a Christian or you need the prayers of the church, why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing.